0: Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. Thankful that you are here today and we get the chance to make much of Jesus. How about Zach and the and the band breaking out a hymn there at the end? And Man, aren't you... Thankful for the, the faithfulness of the Lord and I love singing that song. I love the truth of that song. I love we get to sing that together today. As I say, welcome, grateful that you're here at Connect Church and uh, last week if you were here, um, in, in the message I had shared with you about, about four bulletin mistakes that were actually printed in bulletins at a church. And, uh, and I told you I had hundreds more, and so I just couldn't help myself today. i got to share with you a f- few more of these mistakes, and I promise you it's going somewhere. So take a look here uh, just for a moment, and there's some more mistakes that were printed up in a church bulletin. I love this. You ready? Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. Please use the large double door at the side. Uh, I feel attacked, right? Like, it just, man, somebody had to see this. This is a good one. Uh, This being Easter Sunday, we will ask Miss Lewis to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. (laughs) Talk about a Sunday to remember, right? I I know who Miss Lewis is, but that's a lot to ask on Easter. Uh, Here we go. Uh, The peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. Hey, don't that sound like a church? Here we go. I-, I love this one. Next Sunday is the family hayride and bonfire at the Fowler's. Bring your own hot dogs and guns. Friends are welcome. Everyone come for a good time. Like, Doesn't that sound like fun? Marrying the church, the Second Amendment together? We should do that for our barbecue and baptism next week. Um, actually, just keep your guns home. Uh, here's probably my favorite. I think this is our last one. Yeah, the sermon this morning. Jesus walks on water. The sermon tonight searching for Jesus. Oh, <laughs> what? What happened on the water? Where's Jesus? You know, you just got to be careful. If you've been raised around the church, seen it all in your life, at some point in a church bulletin, you'll have seen the announcement of what? Of revival services. You'll announce a time of year, season of the year, where the church is going to focus in and pray for revival. Well, today in Scripture, We attend a revival meeting at the Watergate in the city of Jerusalem. With the walls rebuilt, it was now time for Nehemiah, for Ezra, to rebuild the people of God spiritually. And we find that taking place in our scripture today. Now, if you've been around the church scene, you've heard revival talked about, You've heard revival prayed for, and you've probably even heard revival preached on. But chances are, you've seen very little of revival in your life. It can be talked about, and it can be prayed for, and it can be preached on. But chances are, you've not seen a whole lot of revival in your life. But what we see today in Nehemiah chapter 8 are the very beginnings of an actual Revival, and we find that it's a revival that begins with the Word of God. Now, revival is a a biblical term, but not necessarily a a New Testament word. Rather, the term itself is a description of the movement of God among His people and in the life of the church. Church. We also see in the Old Testament, revival is spoken of and prayed for quite often. Take a look here. We find in passages like Psalm 85, 6, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? The psalmist cries. We find this in Habakkuk 3, 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, watch this, revive it. Revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In your wrath, remember mercy. It's carried in this sentiment in Psalm 80, verse 18. Watch this. Give us life. It's a cry and a prayer for revival. And we will call upon your name. Now, oftentimes, there's a little bit of confusion when it comes to revival. Meaning this, people say, well, let's hold a revival so a lot of people get saved. And then you realize this, that revival is not in and of itself for people who are lost or apart from Christ. Meaning this, there's no life there to revive. There's no spiritual life in Christ that needs to be revived. And so we realize that revival is a movement of God among his church. But hear me, revival always always leads to people coming to faith and trust in Jesus. Here's why. When God breathes, when God brings life back to seemingly lifeless believers, one of the things that they desire to do the most is to share the good news of the gospel, the good news of new life that is found in Jesus with those who don't know Jesus. And so though revival is for the church, lost people always, always come to Jesus. As a result, John Piper would say it this way. I thought really good. He wrote, In the history of the church, the term revival, in its most biblical sense, has meant a sovereign work of God in which the whole region of churches, many Christians, has been lifted, watch this, out of spiritual indifference and worldliness into conviction of sin, an earnest desire for more of Christ and His Word, boldness and witness, purity of life, lots of conversions, joyful worship, renewed commitment to missions. He says, This You feel as if God has moved here. Why? Because revival is always a movement of God. It's not a working of men. It is always a move of God. But we know this as we study revival throughout Scripture and throughout the church. We find this. Revivals not only change churches and communities, but they also change the very course of history. You see, nearly 500 years ago in Germany, Men with the names of Huss and Calvin and, and Luther and many more were used to God to bring revival to the church that changed the face of the world through what is historically known as the Protestant Reformation. But I'm going to tell you, it was more than a Protestant Revo- a Reformation. This was a powerful revival, a movement of God through his church. But where did it begin so many years ago? Well, it began with someone like Martin Luther giving the Word of God back to the people. Whereas in that day, the Catholic Church alone possessed, interpreted, and disseminated the Bible and its teaching, Martin Luther translated the Bible in the common language. He preached the Bible faithfully, unapologetically, clearly, and passionately, and made the Word of God accessible to all the people. You ready? In short, he opened the Word of God, and he unleashed it among the people of God. And you know what? And nothing was ever the same again. When revival happens, nothing is ever the same again. 300 years later, across England, two buddies, two brothers, two preachers by the name of John and Charles Wesley The first Methodist boys went on and saw a revival that would take heart and take place in England and what sparked that revival well as you study you'll find it was the Word of God that was both open and unleashed among the people of God. John Wesley himself would preach over 40,000 sermons, preach to crowds larger than 20,000 people. He would travel over 225,000 miles, most of it horseback, teaching and preaching, opening and unleashing the Word of God faithfully, unapologetically, clearly, and passionately. There's a the Great Awakening in the early days of our nation, that happened these revivals in the 1730s and the 1740s, even as our nation was just birthed. Revival that was sent by God through the faithful, unapologetic, clear, and passionate preaching of the Word of God from pastors like George Whitfield or Jonathan Edwards, who in 1741 preached a sermon entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it impacted what soon would be a nation. You see, the Bible was merely opened. And it was unleashed among the people. And there were the beginnings of revival. Now, historically, we find revival being this, that it was God's answer and and God's remedy to the apathy, the, the inaction, the lifelessness Of his church. And I'm telling you this today, church, there is far too much apathy. There is so much inaction. There's such a great spiritual lifelessness that is alive and well in the church today. And it ought not be. Which leads me to feel this morning and to know that we are in desperate need of revival desperate need you see the people of God in Nehemiah's day they were desperate for God to move and the water gates well that would serve as ground zero for the beginnings of revival here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 8 that all the people came together watch this as one and notice where they came together in the square before the water gate they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. I want us to note a couple of things as we, as we gather together at this revival meeting at the Watergate. Number one, notice what the people wanted. They didn't want to be entertained. They, they didn't want to hear some self-help seminar. They didn't want to be told how, how great they were. They simply wanted the truth of the Word of God. They were desperate for it for long. They'd been so long without it while they lived in exile. And so, you know what Nehemiah and Ezra do? They they give the people what they want. They give them the word of God. Now, some of you who've been in this series with us for a long time started asking, when did Ezra show up? We're talking Nehemiah. When did Ezra hop on the scene here, right? Well, we see this that Ezra was invited by Nehemiah to take part in this great movement of God. Now, let me tell you where Ezra was gifted. Watch this in Ezra 7, 9, and 10. The Bible says, For the gracious hand of his God was on him. This was because Ezra, watch this, determined to study and to obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel, the Bible says. Ezra was a gifted man preacher. He was a gifted Bible study teacher. In fact, the scripture tells us that um, from the book of the law, as Ezra read from it, he made it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. The people understood. Now, let me remind you something about these people. They were Babylonian exiles, right? Babylon had been defeated by the Persians, so they were under new management. The Persian Empire was uh, the ch- in charge that day. And so the people before Ezra and Nehemiah that had come into the city to live, they were born in Persia. They were raised Persian, and they were part of Persian culture. They had a Persian mindset. They had Persian mentality. And as Charles Swindoll would say, that Ezra read from the Hebrew Bible and the people were hearing the Hebrew Bible through Persian ears. And yet the Word of God was central still to Ezra's teaching. Ezra had a Bible study that day at the Watergate and he gave the Word of God to spiritually hungry people who were starved and stained and sullied by sin. Ezra didn't water down the Bible that day. He didn't have to to sugarcoat it. He didn't have to selectively not read hard or culturally unpopular passages. He let the Word of God loose, and he let the Word of God do its work. Hey, did you notice in verse 1 where the the Word of God was open and unleashed? You know where it wasn't open and unleashed? at the altar inside the temple that Zerubbabel had built. Where was it opened and unleashed? In the town square at the water gate, where the people lived, where the people worked, and where the people played. You see, we catch a glimpse here in a picture of how, how revival begins and how revi- revival works. You see, revival happens when the word of God is open not only in the church, but when it's open and unleashed within the walls of your home, within the walls of your school, within the walls of your workplaces, within the walls of this community, and most importantly, when the Word of God is open and unleashed in the walls of your heart. And we see that truth at play here in Nehemiah chapter 8 at the water gates. In Proverbs 120, the Bible says this, that wisdom, which is in the Old Testament synonymous with God and synonymous with his word, Psalm 120, or Proverbs 120 says this, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. And that's exactly what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 8. And then we find uh, verse number 3 that the Bible says that he read it aloud. Now watch the timing here from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women, others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And in verse 5, Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, watch this, the Bible says that the people, they all stood. They all stood. From daybreak until noon. In that time of year in Israel, in Jerusalem, that means this. From daybreak until noon was a six-hour period where the people of God stood as the Word of God, the law of God, that that Pentateuch, that first five books of the Old Testament were read aloud to them. Hey, can I get you to notice something with me? Remember the musicians from chapter 7? Guess who's not on the scene anywhere here at the Watergate? So you're, you're telling me they had a revival service and there wasn't even music there? How about child care? Where, where were the kids at? How did any of this happen? How did any of this take place? There's no musicians. We don't even musicians, we don't even see that there's an intermission planned anywhere on the program. Six hours, are you kidding me? And yet, look at what takes place in the midst of these six hours that Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen and amen. And then they bowed down. And watch this, a a worship service breaks out in the midst of this six-hour-long reading while everybody's standing, and they worship the Lord, the Bible says, with their faces to the ground. I don't know about you, but when did the guitar start playing? Who put the words on the screen on the walls there in Jerusalem? Jerusalem. I don't hear the music. I don't even hear the little fans and the projectors when they turn on to show the words. I don't even hear that. What is is happening here? There's no light show? Where's the smoke machines? And yet God is being worshiped. You know, last week, I knew exactly where we were heading this week in our study. And I thought to myself, what if last week I announced to everybody, hey, look, next Sunday, I'm giving Zach and his team the day off. Next Sunday, we're going to meet together, and there's going to be no music. In fact, we're not even going to meet in the air conditioner where there's, child, uh, there's, there's uh, Connect Kids downstairs, your child will be taken care of. Well, we're just going to meet in our town square. We're going to go downtown Sevierville, and here's what we're going to do. Well, we're not hiring any sound equipment, but I'm just going to stand up there at the courthouse steps, Man, everybody's just going to come around, and not for six hours, but for 60 minutes. Man, I'm just going to stand, I'm going to open the Old Testament, and I'm going to read to you the law of God. That's when people start church shopping, right? That's when people all of a sudden get this mysterious, mysterious illness on Saturday night, can't make it to church. And, man, it just doesn't look like that any, anymore, does it? But for Ezra and Nehemiah and the people of God that day at the water gate, at this birthing and beginning of revival, you know what's amazing? The word of God was enough. Strip all of this away. Nice building, padded seats, the lights, incredible, incredible team that leads us. Take it all away. way. Let me ask you, church, is, is the word of God enough? I love Zach and I've had the joy Uh, Zach and I kind of begin our 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 serving together when he was a youth and I was an intern at at First Baptist Sevierville I I got some special folks I see in the crowd that remember those days he was in the youth I was helping my youth pastor lead worship with my guitar and and Zach was playing in the background. And then, and then I went on to help be the worship leader for the college ministry at First Sevierville. And, and Zach, when he got in college, came. And, man, he played in our band. He played in my band. And then I went to Valley Grove, and he led worship there. We went to Charlotte together. He was a worship leader. And, man, I'm going to tell you what. I've served with Zach almost my entire life, it feels like, in ministry. And there's nobody who does a better job than he does. But can I tell you this? If he never picked up the guitar again, if he never stood on a stage again, if the lights were never Again on him the word of God would be enough for him but is the word of God enough for the church today well, you see it was for Ezra and Nehemiah and it's what the people wanted and here Ezra Ezra puts the spotlight on God and his word and worship begins to break out and watch what takes place here in verse 9 the Nehemiah the governor Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all Watch this. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Can I paraphrase that? Hey, quit your crying. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. What has that? Listen, I am the dad of three daughters. Touching every waking hour of every day, somebody's crying. Somewhere in the house, many times it's me, but I'm going to tell you something. My, my daughters can cry at the top of the house. And I was like, "You know, my why are you crying? What, what's going on?" And I'm sure that'll all get better by the time they're teenagers. Anyway, why are you crying? What's going on? And the question of that day is, "Man, why are the people weeping? God's moving. Why are the people weeping?" You ready? As Ezra read the law of God, the people became woefully aware of just how sinful they were, how short they had fallen from obeying the law of God and His Word. They became aware, painfully aware, just how far they had strayed from God. And we see an incredible working of the Word of God, reminded to us in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that for the Word of God is living and active, Hey, by the way, it is alive. That's what separates out the Word of God from Dr. Seuss' books, right? It is a living and it is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What's amazing is, is the people, they felt and they were guilty. The law of God, the Word of God, have cut to their very souls. And you know what? That's a good thing. C- can I just remind you that that's okay? I hear sometimes in national studies, you'll find the reason people don't go to church is because um, they, they, they don't want to feel guilty. I- I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes it's good for the soul to experience guilt for things that are wrong and have been done wrong. Sometimes it's just good for the soul. Charles Spurgeon would say it best this way. He would say, avoid a sugar-coated gospel. See the gospel that rips up, wounds, and even kills, for that is the gospel that makes us alive again. You see, the Word of God is wonderful, and at times that it wounds in order that it begins to heal us. It wounds us because it's the only way that you and I will ever know Healing and forgiveness and a right relationship with God. The people they wept because they were guilty of sinning against God and rebellion against Him. And the Word of God exposed it. Now know this. Guilt in heavy doses can kill a man or a woman. But guilt in the right dosing can change a man or woman forever. Really a lot depends on what you and I do with guilt, doesn't it? If we if we sense if we feel guilty because of our sin but we dismiss it we excuse it we continue to live in disobedience to the word and the will of God in our lives then yes guilt will kill you it will rob you of all the joy you have in Jesus but if we sense guilt if we feel guilty of our sin we confess it, we repent of it meaning this, we turn from him, and we walk in obedience to Jesus and his word then you and I can live out the life and live in light of what takes place in verse 10, listen to the words of Nehemiah and Nehemiah said go and enjoy choice food in the Hebrew you know what that means fried chicken and banana pudding and watch this in the sweet drinks, you know what that is I mean, that's a Coke or a Mountain Dew. Listen, enjoy the good stuff. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. And Nehemiah says, this day, here at the Watergate, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Church, hear me. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Jesus, your greatest joy but How? Watch what Jeremiah says. In Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found. And he says, I ate them. I love this food thing going on. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Jesus would say it best in, in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. He replied, blessed rather are those that hear the word of God. And watch this. And they obey it. They obey it. We've got a whole lot of hearing and not a lot of doing once we've done the hearing going on in the life of the church in the life of so many so here's what's at play the people begin to realize this that in their religion their religion was teaching them to say this I have messed up my father's going to kill me and now they hear from the word of God in Ezra and Nehemiah and they come to the place where they sit where they begin to say I have messed up I need my Father. I need Him. And so they long after the Lord. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. Religion all day long is going to tell you when you mess up, your Heavenly Father is going to kill you. But a relationship with Jesus Christ says, hey, when you mess up, you run to the Father. You need Him more then than you ever do. And they're beginning to see that. You see, from the revival at the Watergate to the revivals throughout the 2000 history uh, years of the church, one thing is for sure, the Word of God must be opened and must be unleashed in the life of every believer and in the pulpit of every church. I I love this one pastor said. Remember, this pastor said it. I didn't say it, okay? Listen to what he said. If all the sleeping folks will wake up and all the lukewarm folks will fire up, all the dishonest folks will fess up, all the disgruntled folks will sweeten up and the discouraged folks will cheer up and the disheartened folks will look up and the divided folks will make up and all the gossipers will shut up and the dry bones will shake up and true believers will stand up and all Christians will pray up and all Christ followers will read up, then we will begin to see the beginnings of revival so today, I am calling on you, His church, to not pray for revival alone, but to obey for revival. Meaning this. Revival begins when the Word of God is open and unleashed in your life. And instead of just praying, You are busy obeying the Word of God. Sergeant Kierkegaard once said this, that the Bible is very easy to understand. Most of the time people are like, I don't know how to study the Bible. It's just too hard of a book to read. He says it's very easy to understand. But Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. You see, here's what the Bible does in its work. It confronts Cultural confusion, it combats our own selfish delusions, and it challenges even our sinful conclusion and that conclusions. And that is why the people they wept. they had spent way too much time in Persian culture. They'd spent way too much time with that Persian mindset and mentality, and they'd spent way too much time without the truth of the word of God. And so as we watch here, in Nehemiah chapter eight the Lord turns their weeping into worship through his word in verse 10. And can I tell you something, church? That's exactly what the Lord wants to do in you and me today. In these beginnings of revival, can I ask you a question? Do you desire revival in your life? You got time for it? You got any margin in your life for revival of your heart and life? Is there there any desire for revival? Can I tell you what's easy, church? You know the type of revival I love praying for? I I love praying for revival for somebody else because you know what? Some of y'all really need it. Let me tell you the hard work. It's not only praying for revival for me, but opening and unleashing the Word of God in my life to where I start obeying for revival in my life. There was an evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith was asked one time what the secret of revival was. He said, go home, take a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, and then pray, oh Lord, revive everything inside of this circle. But, church, I want you to hear me when it comes to revival. You cannot have revival with the closed Bible. And so, our prayer, our desire should be this oh God, send revival and let it begin with me. Leonard Ravenhill once said this that as long as we are content to live without revival, guess what? We will. But I'm going to tell you this, that in Christ and as a church, I am no longer content living without revival. In my own life and the life of our church, God send revival and let it begin with me. I want to close with this. There's a pastor, his name is Matt Chandler. He he pastors a church in Texas called the Village Church. Listen, one of my favorite preachers, I, I listen to him all the time, and I love the resources from that church, and man, I just love everything about them. Back in 2009, on Thanksgiving Day, while he was at home with his beautiful wife Lauren and their kids, Matt Chandler collapsed on the floor. He was rushed to the hospital, diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor and given two to three years to live. Crushing. Go back to those days. Watch his church online and you will see massive and severe cuts to his head that had been sewn up from surgeries that he had had. It's just awful. Well, by the way, it's 2022 and he's still alive and he's well. By the grace of God. Not too long ago, Matt was in Jerusalem with his wife, and he got a tattoo. Now, listen to me. I ain't going to read your emails about tattoos, all right? This is an illustration. I want to read your emails this week about it, but watch this. He says this Me and my wife did a thing in Jerusalem tonight Razuk, which is the oldest tattoo shop in the world. Matt and his wife visited, and this preacher gets a tattoo on his arm. But I want you to see what it is it's a depiction of St. George riding on a horse with a spear in his hand and thrusting that spear through the mouth of a dragon. Man, that's a manly tattoo, right? I love it. But why would he get one? After all these years, he's a pastor. Why get, why get this tattoo? And then he begins to explain that he put a description down here in the Latin. It's a memento mori. And, and listen to what that simply is translated as. You Ready? Remember you die. So tattooed on his arm is this message, remember you die. In light of that truth that Matt Chandler would die one day, remember you die, he said this, I want to spend the back half of my life slaying and killing dragons for the kingdom of God. Anthony, what in the world does that tattoo have to do with the message on revival? Hey, church, remember you die. Remember, I will die. Apart from Jesus coming back for his church, which, by the way, I'm all for. Remember this, you die. And the only way on whatever side of life you are, the front side, the back side of life, or in the last few days of life, No matter where you are, it is vital that as the word of God is open and unleashed in your life, it is vital to you living the last of your days, slaying and killing dragons, that you seek and you desire earnestly God to bring life where there is lifelessness, to God bring life where there is inaction, for God to bring life where there has been apathy in your life. Because remember this church, you die. Isn't that a great message? Let's all go to Shoney's together and celebrate. Hey, remember you die. And are you telling me that you want to get to that day, the day of your death, having never experienced personally the revival that God can bring? revival that you pray for, that you open and unleash His word for. Are you telling me you really want to die lifeless, full of inaction, and in apathy? And so today, I've asked Zach and his team, we always close in a worship song, usually. I've asked Zach and his team not to come on stage. If anybody picks up a guitar, I'm going to tackle them. I want to recreate the moment where there were no musicians playing, no words on the screen. The moment at the Watergate, there in Nehemiah chapter 8, where the Word of God was enough, and challenge you with these words that today I am not asking you to pray for revival, but to obey for revival. And that happens only when you open and unleash the word of God in your life. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.